Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the J3U Podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett, and with me is co-host Luke Miller. Hello, Luke. What's up, guys? Y'all have really liked these hypertrophy episodes that we've done and i i enjoy doing them too and so i know we had a good response out of our last back training one going through back how to really improve it why does my back suck and so today we're going to be hitting on on chest so that'll be one that we're going to dive into a little bit but the the cool thing that just happened is, is luke brought his wife to stage this past weekend and she won her class and it was a really close in the in the overall and this was a big show this was the Dallas Europa, which if you're not from Texas, like the, the two big shows that are always been there in Texas have been like the Texas State and the Dallas Europa. And we have a lot of shows now, so it's it's like kind of watered down the whole scene. But I mean, this is like for a state level show, this is one of our top ones. So for one, congrats to Emily and you for coaching her to that level, which is an interesting thing to coach your spouse. But um, for sure. You know what? Uh, I'm sure she pumped out of her mind. I'm sure you are too, right? Oh, she's so motivated, man. I I think so. She lost by one point in the overall, right? And of course, like you have the differing opinions. So she's had like 25 people reach out to her and tell her like they thought she had. The you overall. were robbed. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. But I I think it's one of the most motivating things to see her because she hasn't been on stage since 2017. So she has like this viewpoint of not thinking she's good, like this entire prep. And then she finally sees herself on the stage and it was like, Whoa. okay, yeah, like I look like that type of a thing. Yeah. So it's cool. And I think it helps seeing her next to other people was really her thing is like the comparison, right, of, of standing next to others. So I'm really excited for Universe, man. I couldn't have been happier with the way the decision making went. I do think for prejudging, she was a smidge flat um, because of the fluid intake. So I didn't use a diuretic with her on Friday night going into Saturday just because she was clearing so much overnight that, I mean, it, she wakes up drier and she's. Yeah, I think it was smart. Like you did a trial run with a diuretic. Like it was a what, one week out. Yeah, I was like a week and a half out just to see like how much it pulled her down. She was sharp. Sharp, but man, flat. And it's like for her, like her shape is her like calling card type thing, right? And she's still dry enough without the diuretic to, if you get her full where she's still got all her lines. And where she starts to fade is when she's flat because she starts posing and she, she just doesn't like hang on to it long, which thank, thank God for the morning being a little bit shorter in duration. Right. Um, because like, I only, I'd only given her, let's see, we did seven and four. So 11 ounces of fluid up until like two and a half hours out. And then I gave her another 50 grams of carbs with like seven grams of fat about two and a half hours out because that 50 gram mark was that number that I had predicted over the week that would bump her up again. Yeah. With eight ounces of fluid over that two hours. So four ounces with the meal, 
and then well it's technically nine because that did five leading into the show okay. and she just started like getting fuller and sharper and sharper so I then post prejudging started giving her fluid a little bit more um a little bit more freely so we did 12 ounces as soon as she got off stage she did four ounces with her next meal and she did four ounces with the last meal before stage and she did another four ounces about an hour before and her lines and her pop and everything for the prejudging was so much better and it was one of those things like for finals, you mean. For finals sorry was so okay. much it was one of those things that prejudging i was watching her pose and you could see like right at the tail end she was like starting to fade a little bit pre or for finals she was getting better as she was posing and it was like okay this is the better package like she pumped up, did her award stuff for class A. She looked unbelievable. And then she gets into like the overall comparison and it's just everything starting to come out more. And she pumped up a little bit more before she went out for the overall. And so I like the fuller look on her. And I just think that's a case study of like, you don't have to use diuretics if you understand the balance of fluid to carbohydrate with someone that can manipulate someone up and down. In fact, I didn't use a diuretic with any of my athletes that competed this week. And pretty much we nailed it i mean both of my people couldn't have been any better on stage yeah it's like it's it's with the diuretics it's like there's a, a brief moment where there is some shift because like you know you have your intracellular and your extracellular and there's a modification that occurs with a diuretic or anything like dropping water or sodium and so there, i think there's a small lag time where you do have some shift between compartments but it's so brief it, that you might nail it to where you do decrease extracellular a little bit, but then that shift occurs and then you're right back to like homeostasis and that might look flat. Um, and, you know, flat for Emily, like we are sending me pics. Um, and finally, like after finals, like she would pose and you'd see like more of the lines coming out in her shoulders. And that's where I would see it right away versus like she's super round, but it was like a smooth round, um, which, I mean, that's, a lot of people can come smooth round, but you need that, that hardness there. And that's like what she, she needed. So um, I think like, yeah, like you're given the 50 grams of carbs, but she'd probably need a little bit more fluid along with that carbon out. Right. Yeah. So it's the, the, the numbers I had run with normal fluid intake was like 30 grams of carbs was right about maintenance. 50 would bump her up um, about a pound. Um, and fat I was using as like kind of like a hold on so like yeah if she needed to hold it for two and a half hours like I'm using that that those fats to kind of keep it in her a little bit longer um and the mistake I made I should have I looking back this is the one mistake I made is I didn't feed her enough the morning of as well I was being a little hesitant because she woke up really good yeah. and I was like if we just bring this to stage this is nuts but then she started to kind of fade on me. So then I had to fix it with the, with the next meal and some fluid. So that's where she came to prejudging a, a smidge flat. But I mean, honestly, man, like I couldn't, I couldn't ask for it to have gone better. She, she absolutely nailed it. Her stage presence is so good too. And it's just so cool to see. It is literally one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Like Oh, Fuck cool. my competing, man. Like, I don't even care about my competing. That was one of the most rewarding moments ever. That's awesome. Like, I, and like, even like watching like Renee compete, like, I think I get more nervous. I don't know. She's, she gets pretty damn nervous, 
but even before she comes out, I'm like really, really nervous for her and uh, excited at the same time. And I agree, man, it's so rewarding, especially with your spouse, someone you care for that much and you have the, your hand in it that much, right? It's yeah. might as well be you walking like right behind her on stage, going out there, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'm excited. It, yeah, no, that's awesome. So what are the, what are the changes now in place for universe? Because what is that? Oh, how many weeks away is that now? It's like 10 days. 10 days. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously you have some like adjustments you can make with the peak to dial it in. Yeah. Um, I think the days leading in, I can feed her a little bit more liberally so that I don't have to use the morning of the show to really change the look at all. We can just kind of ride it in. I'll probably keep fluid a little bit higher in the morning and, and just let her come in with that bursting full look. Because another thing I noticed too is her back shot. So when she's flat, she loses some of that erector density through the bottom that actually sets the stage for that frame. Okay. And she loses a little bit of glute hardness, which was the biggest difference between the night show and the Prejudging. If you see that picture that I put up, that was from finals. And like that back shot is like levels better than when she's. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, there's thickness like from. From like. From top to bottom, neck, like neck to ass, right? Top, right. So um, I, I really like the fuller look. So I think, I think it's just prejudging, bring her in a bit fuller. Um, and she, you know what? Like she's grown as an athlete as well. Her communication to me on like her capacity to be able to contract and those kinds of things. You just saw it improve with each day. Like yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, it was like very unclear communication. And then by, by Saturday, it was like, she could, you know, tell me exactly what was going on. So, I mean, kudos to her. She's unbelievable on stage. She loves it. She was so calm. Cool. Yeah. So she, do you think going into finals, she was a little bit calmer and maybe that improved the look as well and to make her not fade as fade like she was doing in prejudging? Maybe a little bit, man, but this chick was so chill. She was yeah. taking a nap backstage before pre-judging. Wake up. <laughs> I, I, I was like, are you sleeping? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, she was – I mean, I gave her some Benadryl the night before, so that may have been still around. But Did no, she, she, go hard, she go hard on the cookies? Oh, bro, she ate a PDX uh -huh. cookie. People brought her crumble cookies. Olivia uh -huh. brought her a, a thing of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We went and got sushi. She went pretty deep, but she's she's almost back down now. So she's kind of like about a pound and a half above what she woke up Saturday morning. So what did you do anything diet wise to pull her down quick or? Yeah. So day after we did protein veggie only normal cardio, nothing excessive. So normal cardio, normal steps, um, bump the fluid intake. So she's getting around on average, like 195 ounces. So I bumped it to 222, which in that the odd numbers because of the bottle. Shoot. Yeah. Um, and so she cleared quite a bit already and she'll hit another low tomorrow. Um, so I'm just bringing her back to base plan. I'm going to let her ride it out and see where she lands. Um, yeah. Get that fluid it. balance back. And then uh, it would be cool to see her get tighter out of this, which I think you can, you know, uh, and, and just, I bet I kind of predict, usually I see people go back to a base plan and they just get tighter. Yeah. Like, and they'll, they'll like, I don't think you change like the adaptive components that much. I think people will just like have more energy and put more effort out. Um, oh, dude, her day to day, like she's just like 
wanting to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, we by herself yesterday. I was like, who is this? Yeah, all that like spontaneous movement components, like you start moving more and it's not people are like it's the magic, right? And it's like, oh no, there's an explanation. And so <laughs> yeah, she'll probably yeah, I think she'll probably be I'm sure she'll be better for the second show. And I'm excited, man. I think she's, uh, well, we won't make predictions, but I think it'll be a good one out there. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see her in the next one. Cool. Well, you know, we can do a whole podcast just on, like, this this little transition point. Like, those are all good things. Like, what do you do after you, you go out and eat a bunch of food and restore fluid balance post-show? Like, that's a great topic in itself. Yeah. But we'll I'll stick to it. ours. <laughs> Especially if you're like back-to-back shows, like you yeah, into the next. So, um, yeah, but chest training, chest training, that for both of us has been something that has shifted a lot, I believe. Especially with some of your feedback from New York, right? Yeah, for me, uh, chest has always been a struggling weak point. For you, it's it's a strength. It wasn't though. It wasn't. So now it's like like in your shots now. It's a strong point. Uh, you should like lead this conversation because that's why I always think like when you have a looking for people for advice, like see who's brought up a weak body part and made it a strength. And that's who you want to take the advice from. Don't ask the genetically gifted guy like that always had a chest. How do you get a chest? And be like, Oh yeah, man, you just fucking press some barbell and it just grows. Like, oh, okay, cool. I'll go do that. And that didn't work. So, um, yeah, look, looking through the process of starting that conversation, you come off stage, you're like, yeah, my chest, man, that was weak. Uh, I need to reprogram. Um, what did that look like for you? I think we'll start with that because it's it's now this, this strong point. Yeah, so it might help just to kind of break down like chest fibers in general before we go too, too far into it. So like, obviously you have like clavicular, you have the clavicular sternal and then pec minor, right? Um, and everything is going to be in relation to the humerus. So the, the upper arm, for those who don't know what the humerus is, um, it's, it's moving that humerus towards in a way the rib cage is going to be responsible for, for anything chest training, right? So one of the things that I have found is I have dysfunction through my left side, especially, but on both because of previous golf injuries. So I have like a bicep tendon strain, a pec tendon strain, um, and then lack of scapular mobility via serratus around the rib cage, right? Um, so with that, like for me, I don't get a lot out of your stereotypical bang for buck barbell, flat bench barbell incline, those kinds of things. Um, and it really took me stepping away from those kinds of patterns and breaking down and picking machines that fit my structure alongside trying to move that humerus across my rib cage in the planes of motion that we're going to be in. And one of the things that I think sometimes gets over emphasized is like looking at you have to train chest across all of these different inclines. And it's, it's honestly one of those things that I think like 35 to 45 degrees all the way down to maybe a slight decline is probably the end range for most people because as bodybuilders, like functionality wise, we're only going to be able to kind of express force in that 60 to 120 range very well. You know, the moment you start getting up here, people are unstable. We're probably bringing it into your delt a lot more. I do think that high incline press is important for like the clavicular. 
but breaking it down, it's, it's, for me, it was detaching from what load was on the bar and learning the transition points, especially out of the bottom. So learning to create that contraction on that like outer pec fiber via controlling that transition point. And, and for me, it, it, it's going to sound terrible, but a lot of hammer strength pressing, I'll include one dumbbell press per every rotation to keep straightest function pretty high and do some stuff prior to training as well. And then just not allowing yourself to progress via compensation patterns. So like the, the change in the torso angle and the, the hip drive and things along those lines have been like the staples. Now we can start to dive into like what that looked like on paper specifically, but I do want to hear some of the stuff that you've been using to kind of bring yours up as well. Well, you said you had to focus on like the, the transition point. Like what do you, what, what do you actually mean by that? So the transition from eccentric to concentric. And so what would you do though to like, to control that to where you are pressing with the pecs? Cause we're getting a lot into like what you feel in contraction when a lot of people kind of disregard this completely and just mm-hmm. say, Hey, if you're moving from point A to point B, like the pecs are going to work which I, I disagree with so, to they, an extent, but yeah. like, what do you, what are you saying? Like this transition point, like, are you doing like some type of like pause or? So dead? the progression over time. So it started as dead stop reps. Then it moved into pause without the stopper. And then it moved into continuous reps. So as the ability to initiate with chest continued, then I was able to progress the manner in which I had more control and I wasn't relying on external factors. So I don't know if you remember, but post show the, one of the first big movements I was doing was a dead stop barbell press. Yeah. Cause it was literally like, I have videos of me with tan still on dead stop barbell pressing. Um, and that was 2019. And my thought process there was if I can create a chest contraction with an implement that may not be my, best implement that I know can I can create one with it's going to transfer into some of these other patterns very well and so I had my ideal patterns all throughout like the rest of my training sessions so like I prioritize one of my ideal patterns that I I prefer in my other push day I had it on the rest of my push day Um, but I think that time I spent dead stop barbell pressing was huge because it taught me to create a chest contraction with an implement that doesn't exactly hasn't been an implement that I could in the past very well. So I've, I've spent blocks where I've benched and gotten to like a decent, I'm not the best presser in the world, decent numbers, but it was never really like an actual chest contraction off the bottom. And that time I spent, I think I spent like 15 weeks with that pattern is took me from being able to just move A to B to like my chest contractions with a barbell were stronger than I was in a lot of hammer strength pressing leading into that show. Um, and so it really took me stripping back like load and patterns and control in that end range. And I knew that I didn't have the full control in the bottom because of the, some of the dysfunction I had come to realize I had kind of leading into the show. Um, and so I was doing some things outside, like session prep wise to try to fix that, which it's still a recurring thing, but 
Um, I think that block of time, that 15 weeks post-show was where I really reinstituted my ability to not rely on something like a stopper for the transition point control. Yeah, I think even post-show, it's a, it's a great time to really break that down because you have all like glycogen super loaded and you can actually get such a better contraction, mind-muscle contraction and that point. Because in prep, it's sometimes like, yeah, I can't really feel what's working because you're getting flat. And uh, then it's even harder to get a good stimulus, especially in areas where you have that dysfunction. So post-show is a great time point to kind of reevaluate everything. Um, this of course has been a struggle for me too. And it's like a dysfunctioning area, which I, what I realized in, in a lot of my posing is like my, when I hit my most muscular, I hit my, um, my front relaxed. When I get into that pose, I push that shoulder for those shoulders forward. Cause I, I do like contracting the pecs in my front relaxed, but most muscular for sure is that my right pec fires like bam, no problem. I have to really, really think to make my left one work. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? It's like, it's, it's super frustrating. It's like, man, when training, if I can't do this just standing here, how can I do it like training? And, you know, going through like working with these re rehab PT guys, um, I had some, a lot of dysfunction within my scapula and probably came from, it's probably always had some weakness around those areas in my rotator cuff and also my serratus. So my scapula wasn't moving, you know, properly or I couldn't even stabilize the scapula. If I can't stabilize the scapula, it's really hard to produce force with intended muscles. It's like, I think of it as like, you're trying to jump on an unstable surface. Like if you want in sand and try to do a, a jump, like you just can't jump right, right? Because you're losing force throughout the sand. Um, same idea of having a scapula that's not able to lock in place when you need it or to actually move when you need it under control. So if you don't have that control, other structures compensate and you end up with injury. So I've injured my, my pec minor because um, the pec minor has some function in controlling humerus to, to a bicepted pec, if you want to say it that way. Then also my corcobrachialis, um, my bicep tendon takes a lot of the strain, trying to move the humerus uh, you know, and have that abduction occur. And so I like have, I have my bicep, my pec minor trying to do the function of my pec major, which they just got overworked and injured. And so why is it happening? Well, because on the backside, it's not stabilizing those, the structures like I need to and other, other muscles are doing the job. So right away, it's like, for me, it was addressing those weak points to, to build strength in them and, and stability, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to just like give out some like, hey, try these exercises and see if you can stabilize the scapula because it's, it's a challenging thing. I had to do, um, for one, mobilize off the bat. So I'll, I'll start off doing like shoulder rotations with the band to try to get into those end ranges where I, I, I don't have good strength to control. Yeah. You think like when, when the joints, like if you're all the way overhead, like that's probably going to be your, your, your most like unstable position. The scapula is having to really do a lot of control. So just getting into those positions before I even start my pressing um, is, is what I'll do. Then also putting some type of load in the end range of the joint. So going through like, uh, like I do those YTA swimmers with dumbbells. So I'll lay on my stomach 
with dumbbells and hands out in front of me. Think, think guys like YMCA, if you're not watching the video of this, but basically raising those dumbbells off the floor and trying to bring them all the way back to my hip and rotate, internally rotate at the same time. Um, and I was so weak in shoulder extension. And uh, so, so I immediately know like, man, my, my extensors on the shoulder are very weak. Um, I'd have some weakness in, in uh, coming through that internal rotation as I'm getting closer to the hip. Um, so definitely like subscapularis was, was weak and, and just, just overall my left shoulder in general just had weakness in it. So I go through these like strengthening movements at the end ranges and eventually over time I get to my pressing. It's like, man, I'm starting to feel my pec more and mm -hmm. I have better stability. But I also had to like reprogram and think about these movements and, and exercise selection that I was going to pick because I, I had to have movements that are like your go-to movements that people pick. They're like, you have to do this or you have to do a barbell press. I'm like, okay, I'll do this barbell press. I'm like, well, I don't feel shit in my pecs. And it's been like that so long. I would think like, maybe that's just normal. <laughs> like that's how it's supposed yeah. to feel. But like for my strong body parts, like quads, like I'll do a set and they're like immediately blow up with blood. And it's like so stimulating. I'm like, holy shit, why don't my other muscle groups feel like this and pecs? So um, what I what I had been doing in a lot of my pressing, and I think this was from powerlifting to try to get that stability, was to like fully retract the scapulas as hard as I could and dig them down to press them and create that stable base for pressing. But what I've realized is like, just before I even lay down to press or anything, it's like, well, how do I get a good contraction? Like where is my humus in relation to my pec fibers? And like to do that, it's like, well, okay, I'm not like, like you said, you're not like, I can't get a good contraction when I'm like an incline bench above 60 degrees. Um, around 15, 30 degrees is where I probably feel the strongest pec contraction. And then also I'm not fully retracted in my scapulas, which that's what I've always been taught is like fucking retract the shit out of your squeeze, your, your traps together hard. And for powerlifting, I think that's maybe some application, you know, you shorten your range of motion. Um, you know, you, it helps bring your chest up higher. But it also, like for me, like for powerlifting, I would use a lot of tricep. And uh, did you ever press like that? Like just scapulas dug the fuck down in the bench? And yeah, and I think that I did prior to my last show in 2019, and that was one of the big shifts that I I did this year was not pulling back quite as hard because one of the things that also happens too is like when you retract that hard, is rib changing changes, right? And yeah people don't realize this, but breath mechanics and creating pressure from your shoulder all the way down to your pelvic floor is important in your capacity to be able to press. So not only are you retracting so hard, you're limiting humeral movement, but you're basically like trying to, like if you think of a tin can, it'd be like having a tin can with a slinky in the middle. And so anything that touches the outside of the tin can is just going to make the tin can move when it's got the slinky in the middle, right? Yeah. Where we can keep the rib cage in a little bit of a better alignment to our pelvis. So you have, you have your actual diaphragm, which is like thoracic cavity of your rib cage. And you have like your pelvic floor, your pelvic diaphragm, if you want to call it. And using that breath mechanics to create pressure within that tin can can actually allow for more output on all of the externals, so your limbs, that require that base in order to exert force. Um, so you'll see like these people that expand the rib cage, it's like the open pump handle, open bucket handle, 
rib cage position and they're really opening up and they're losing a lot of force capacity. They're losing a lot of alignment and they're, they're taking out the productivity of like hypertrophy training. Right. Um, because we need to not only create tension and be able to um, create tension and connect and be within the right plane of pattern, but there is a force component too. So if we can create more force in that plane within that movement pattern, then we need to look at that as well. And I think that that is very under <clears throat> underrated because like, fuck, I'm just breathing. Right. But um, I think that's one of the biggest things that allowed me to develop a chest contraction right behind the, the, the pause pressing. Right. Because now I'm in a better position to do what I need to do and jamming the bicep into the side of the chest within the planes that I can do that. Right. So, so you're yeah. saying like, when you're about to bring a bar down for a press, most guys are taking like this huge breath to bring the rib cage up full. They hold that breath. And then when they press, they would typically would let it all out. So yeah. you're not taking this gigantic breath. There's some, but mm -hmm. there's also not that upward, like you're not pulling up the rib cage chest high. You're like kind of contracting down on the abs a little bit with a little less yeah. breath there. The nasal breath, right? Because diaphragm control via nasal. Di nasal breathing allows for more, more diaphragm control. So pull enough to create pressure and then go. And, and I've done the same um, and, and trying to like almost, yeah, almost do like kind of an ab crunch as I'm pressing, which I, I feel like it keeps me in a position. That's, that's a lot, uh, a lot more, uh, get more basically activation out of, out of my pecs doing it that way. Yeah. Um, but one other thing too is like in, in hammer strength machines is finding a counter force. So pinning yourself up against the pad, like that incline hammer strength, mm -hmm. like classic one everybody uses, you just see people sit there, they tuck their feet behind them or whatever, but it's like, you want to glue yourself to that bench because if you glue yourself to that back pad, then you're creating another sense of stability, not only via your breathing, but via the externalized position, right? So that's another one is like using your, it, it starts at your feet a lot of times and using your feet to create that counterforce. Um, not, not to drive force in the direction of the press, but to drive force where you stay stable on the, on the bench. What, what would you say cue wise? Cause when, when I'm like, I have my, like on a hammer string machine, I have my feet out, I'm pushing back into it, but not, not back up into my, it's like, it mm -hmm. feels like an even dispersion of like into my traps. There's some like lower back present on the pad. Uh, because I don't have that big arch like I used to. Yeah. Um, and, and then hips kind of feel like they're wedged into the corner yep. <laughs> of the pad. So, I mean, that's at least how I feel the most stable in that position. Um, and, and I used to like, like wiggle down my traps. I kind of have to wiggle down just to get in position, but um, I, I don't do that as much anymore. I leave them a little bit more, more open. Yeah. And it's these little details, man, that I think, Ultimately, you get so much more out of each rep that it makes the press a little bit harder. Yeah. But your long-term capacity to progress is unbelievably much further. And man, I think this, this is just so, I, I, not to take away from anyone that's, you know, it's all about your Excel sheet and looking at sets and reps and numbers and, you know, adding sets or if you, but if you don't have this like initial component of like, what is the rep look like the first rep and, and this is the art of bodybuilding, the proper positioning. Uh, you don't even need to worry about adding sets if you don't have this point established. 
Like you, we should nail this like execution, the setup, making sure that we have that connection right. Then from there, being able to take that to a high effort level. Then from there, if you do need extra stimulus, then we might talk about adding some sets in. But just to add in more volume, if you're already doing your initial volume poorly, it's only going to cause more injuries and probably less productive growth because now you're having to take time off. Um, but before I get too far off, like at least, uh, you know, about retracting my scaps, that was the thing that I was noticing is just standing there. Like, how do I get a good pec contraction? It's like, well, my scapulas aren't fully retracted. They're kind of out a little bit. And so, and then I, cause I would feel it doing flies you know, I do a fly and I get to that shortened state where I actually have a connection with my pecs. And I have that bicep to, to like nipple as far as I can get it. It's like, man, I feel my pec there. My pec gets pumped like this. My shoulders aren't fully retracted. They're actually kind of rounded out a little bit. Mm. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to try programming on my push day. Just do this fly first because that's where I get a great contraction and I can make that connection with the muscle and I have, a, I have a good setup that I'm able to stabilize. So I do it like on a, a pec deck fly machine. Um, so everything's braced and stable. And I can get my cueing for that is like getting the bicep. Bicep to bicep is what I'm looking at. Because I made the mistake of trying to like put your hand, pull your hands together. And what ends up happening is like you get to a point like pecs aren't even doing anything. I'm just like curling it towards each other with my hands. So the idea is like trying to touch my biceps together. And doing that first is like, man, I get, I get this pec distortion in the muscle. Like it was getting pumped. It's like, okay, like I can feel this working. Now I can go to my pressing and engage. Now this is not something that I'll probably continue with once I've established like a good pec connection. Cause I do think uh, I, I, the most productive hypertrophy movement I want first, you know, and that's going to be one where I can load in the stretch position, which with like a press, but I don't think it's going to be a huge limitation either because I think even if you're doing your flies first, it seems like the exercise order, it matters, but it only matters to an extent that you're able to still engage what you want, you know? Um, I think driving the engagement's probably preferential there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, should you, you – know, there's tons of guys that do, like, leg extensions before they go squat. And it's like, oh, yeah, their quads suck, though. It's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of guys that have, have – yeah, that's very anecdotal, but – um, we have some like early, like just a few studies looking at this stuff and it, for certain movements, like an exercise isolation before compound can be productive. If in your compound movement, you're not adequately loading in the lengthen phase. So like the, it's your, like, like a tricep push down prior to like a, a bench press, you know, might be effective, but doing a leg extension before a leg press might not be as effective. But I, I think it kind of is a mute point. Like if you're making good stimulus and you have in good effort level and have adequate volume, I don't, I think it might all kind of wash out. Um, yeah. I think you have to look at it as like, okay, if you can, can't create the stimulus without the isolation movement first, then you're missing out on the stimulus itself. Right? Like I spent my entire prep training quads with quad extension first into my compound because I keep pinging my fucking knee every time I try to do a compound first, yeah. right? And so my quads are doing all right this prep, so I think I'm going to keep picking along. But um, I do think that there's utility in understanding, like, 
if it's a trouble, some body part for you to connect with as you're addressing some of the dysfunction, a lot of times an isolation pattern like that to create the sensation and create the neural capacity to use it will increase output and then you can remove it once that capacity is there, like you had mentioned. Yeah, and usually when I get into pressing, what's failing first for me is like triceps um, before pecs ever do. And so I don't want to say like I'm, I'm like there's going to be a level of fatigue present, but I'm not trying to necessarily pre-fatigue the muscle. Um, yeah. I, in, in those studies, I think it, the rest times really were, you have to look at them too. So uh, if the rest time's too short, it would limit your capacity in the compound movement. But if you gave adequate rest time, um, there wouldn't be as much limitation. And also just we know short rest times, uh, you have less ability to increase contractility of that muscle. Um, so that would be my takeaway. Like if you are doing isolation for your compounds, don't do it as like a superset. Um, yeah. that would be limiting the pressing and, and the, the stimulus you give, do it as like some straight sets and adequate rest time, like two to three minutes before, you know, normal rest times. And I, I don't think that would limit you, but if you're doing it like, Hey, I'm going to superset this pec fly into a press, I think you'd absolutely limit your ability to give qual enough quality stimulus. Yeah, 100%. I think one thing too, I didn't mention this on the pause pressing. Um, one thing that's helped me a lot is being okay with reverse banding my presses because it, it allows me to connect on that transition so much better with implements that I can use a lot of force output with. So like for me, like on a Smith machine, like I've, I've discussed in the past about bars in general being tough to connect with unless my alignment's perfect. Yeah. Um, but using a reverse band in an in and out fashion as I can with programming has been huge because every rep, I just feel it straight out of the hole because it's that slight pull off and load that I need to initiate the contraction and then go into the, the, go into the press that adds load as I press. Right. So um, I think that that's a tool as well that can be used to help create. Teach cre okay. Going into it. to teach the contraction out of the hole. Do you, comparatively, though, if you had someone that like, ha, hey, I have the control. Okay, you're already shaking your head. So like the hypertrophy stimulus versus a reverse band versus no no band. Which one? Which one to go with? I prefer the no band. Okay, but I use the reverse band because I understand that I lose the contraction out of the hole when I don't have it there still. And so that's a big thing. Right. And so I'm more productive at the moment with the reverse band still in play. No, and that makes sense. And I, I agree because if I, if, when I think about it, it's like, well, reverse band, you're dropping load off of when the, the pec is stretched when ideally like loading a muscle and, and the length and say, that's when we see some of the, the greatest hypertrophy st stimulus and response. And so if you're taking that away, you're kind of giving less stimulus and you're also making the part of the movement a stronger, a stronger point. Usually your lockout is a stronger point, but it's also a point where like I fail the quickest. You're making that even more challenging. Um, but I think it's, it's a great point to make that if you lack stability control when the muscle in that lengthen phase, then to bring in something to help you teach that like a reverse band makes sense, but you need to wean off of it. So I don't think there's a magic there to using the reverse band on like every movement there, there needs to be something like, why are you doing this? Um, and then also like the eccentric to concentric, 
the amount of force you produce since that band had like stores some of that energy, the, the band's going to take a lot of that momentum and, and generate it. So you're not having to generate as much with the actual pecs yeah. in my mind. Um, but I think that's what you want uh, for, for from a teaching opponent. Yeah. And, and then and what I'll do with that as well as go into a movement that loads the stretch position right after that I have the control with. Like what, so like, what example of that? You know that wide grip hammer strength press that you guys have? We have one at the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can, if you set that up correctly, it is like all pec in the bottom and it right. is like all loaded. Like to the point that you have to be careful doing the loaded press, right? Um, that's how I injured mine. What'd you say? Uh, yeah, that's how I, I injured my pec minor. Yeah, oh, no. so you had to be careful with that. But I that, had dysfunction, so I was like, "There wasn't that, no, no, not, nothing on the on the movement." It's a great movement, just like me, just not not having the ability to control in that big stretch. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I'll go into the loaded stretch position after. Yeah, maybe I'm coming in with some fatigue from the press before, but I'm still able to load that stretch position pretty well with doing it second. So um, right now, that's that's been a staple and I was using that a lot of my off season too when we were still living in Charlotte like that was the sequence it was uh, a press of some sort with a reverse band into that loaded stretch position in that machine and I milked that setup for probably like nine months um what's what's helped me too is I've been using a closer grip which that's kind of like counterintuitive for pressing but man I uh, maybe my grip was just too wide. You know, it's not that I'm now using a close grip bench press like a tricep movement, but I think I was just probably too wide yeah. and pinned back so much that it was really easy to do, have a strong like mechanical advantage in pressing. Um, but, but now like, I feel like with that close grip, my, my humerus like will travel back a little bit farther, but also I get a really good contraction at the very top, which I know it's not a lot of loading at the top, um, but I, f I feel it. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I feel it. Like, you know, that's enough for me. Um, so usually after my, my pec fly, I've been going to a dumbbell press, yeah. which you know, now that I've established that connection and I do have good stability now, I like doing the dumbbell press while I am not fatigued, then moving to like something stabilized like you do. Um, yeah. like I'll move to a hammer strength press after that. Um, I think if I still had those issues, I would definitely just stay on something that's really controlled and stay braced like a hammer strength or something in the Smith machine using like a reverse band like you do. So you can really control the bottom. So that progression would be there. Um, I, I just, I'm just been at a different stage of it. I think that's uh, probably the, the good, the good takeaway for people is like progress up in their exercise order. So you can actually feel your pecs working. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we want to be moving towards being able to get good loading out of the stretch position. Um, I don't know if you ever really need to go to free weight though. That's not a necessity thing like for hypertrophy training. I, I just like the dumbbell press and play for the functionality of it. Like I, right now I'm not doing it at the end of this prep because kicking back dumbbells is harder than actually pressing the dumbbells. And yeah. With me aggravating my shoulder at the beginning of prep I just it's just not happening um, but it's something that otherwise barring that I keep it in all the time just because I see my output on everything externally stabilized increase 
Um, so something because of the actual serratus function, so something like that. And then this is a single arm overhead dumbbell skull crusher to force that stability in that overhead position are more movements that you get some output from, but they're more for the movements around it than anything else. Yeah, I think now that I can like safely stabilize the scapula, having a press in place that can continue to strengthen that correctly. Um, and, and I'm also checking the block that I'm in getting good pec contraction is one that I would keep in. Uh, and I think that that would carry over like once you do get to your really brace stabilized movement, like a hammer strength or a Smith machine, is that you will feel so stable in that and be able to really, really produce a lot of good pet contraction. Um, so I think it's good to have that in place. But yeah, like you're saying on prep, uh, if you're, you're at a point when you are losing stability because fatigue is higher and you're also a lower body weight, so you just don't have the, the actual the physical component to stabilize in there, but also just the I think the central nervous system component of having this like kind of systemic fatigue present prevents you from being efficiently able to like control your motor patterns. So moving to like more stabilized patterns on prep makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I've kept in, but again, my fatigue's been managed very well. Uh, I think if I was on the way down yeah. from like a high body fat, it would, I would carry more fatigue. Um, but doing my like my flies first, I won't end on anything like that. I might have like a, I'll still end on my, like my push days will be a tricep compound that has some chest focus to it. So like a close grip bench press or a dip. So I'm like getting some pec involvement. Um, it's in a higher rep range, kind of like I would do a fly. Uh, but it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm not, I've already did some isolation work, so I don't need to do another isolation movement. Why would I do that? Um, yeah. so I'm always, I always, you know, believe in like, don't just keep repeating the same movements. Um, I don't know why it would make sense to do it. So either. I only, I think there's only so much you can get out of the pattern, like, and you need to change the pattern to an extent. Right. I think maybe something valuable here would be walking through like, what does that regression pattern look like? Um, just like real quick. So like the most watered down version of teaching pressing pattern mechanics with a dead stop, right? Because you're implementing both tools that you have. And then you would progress that probably with the reverse band all the way to continuous reps. I would suggest removing the band and returning to dead stop and then progressing that back up. So that you're saying a dead stop with a reverse band first? Yeah, because it's both tools. No, that makes sense. That's what I just wanted to, I, I didn't. Yeah, so dead stop with reverse band, progress up with the band on from dead stop to pause without a, without a dead stop. Dead stop. Rack. So like under your own control, then into continuous, and then you would come back to dead stop with the stopper in play, remove the band and then move it back up. And that would be like one way to progress Smith pressing. And then you could look at, um, you could look at the implementation of the isolation pattern before that as well you know, until you get to maybe the continuous reps or the pause rep without the band, you keep the isolation pattern in the entire time, one to two sets just to create that sensation, right? And so then you kind of, you, you, you've created a system to progress yourself over time. And I've been doing pause reps out of the Smith machine on my incline pressing now. Um, no dead stop, just on my own. 
Um, mm-hmm. Pause there. Make sure I mentally like press with your pecs, John. <laughs> Are you engaged and stable? Yes. And then, then move it. I, it was like a safety thing too. Cause I've had so many injuries just pressing um, that if I come down and I can make sure I'm like in a safe position, I, I'm not, I don't, I take away some of that stretch reflex where that transition for me, centered concentric really explosively uh, creates the, the most force, but also that could create the most damage to connective tissue too. So um, I just wanted to like safely protect myself, but I also been like getting some really good, um, you know, pec, pec work doing it. And I'd use less load, but I, for bodybuilding, I'm trying to use like the, the least load possible to get the most stimulus possible. So yeah, I'm only pressing like two, two you know, two plates and a 35 on each side. It's, it's like, man, it's fucking humbling. It's like, I see yeah. guys doing like four plates, like four plates and a quarter do Smith press. I'm like, oh, I'm so fucking weak. <laughs> but I'm like, whatever, you know, it's like, if I'm getting the job done with this, um, that that's what I want because I'm going to have better longevity, my, my shoulders and everything. Um, but I'm excited to get into an offseason phase and actually push food with this in place and see what I can do development wise. I think I was about to say, I think your performance metrics are a little bit of the product, uh, a product of the perma prep you've been on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like you look at people like, uh, like, like Brett Wilkin posted a video pressing a destination a couple months back, like very solid reps, clearly had full control in all transition points. Like it's like four and a quarter or five plates on that Smith. Like there's, there is a point in which we have to get fucking strong, but we have to understand what rep pattern fits our function slash dysfunction level to get the most out of that pattern. And I think that's where you're being very accurate with implementation of the hesit, the, the pause rep because of, the previous dysfunction plus the injury prevention side, which is part of the reason I've kept the reverse band play as well across this whole prep is just that bottom position in my left pec really concerns me. It's not an issue, but I, I have had issues in the past when I get leaner. So that's yeah, I think it's, I think it's acceptable to leave it in place. Like if you, even if it's like suboptimal comparatively for a lift, if, if in the long run you're able to continue to train without an injury, well, that's ideal. Um, Cause I've always tried to work my way back to doing things that I thought like on paper, it's optimal, but then it's like injured every time. Like, Hey, I like to barbell squat. I want to keep barbell squat and get back to it. Once I'm from this injury, I get back to it. It's like, Oh shit, I'm injured again. It's like, well, is this why are you even do it then? Like, you know, um, stick with something that you can stay healthy with, you get good stimulus with, and, and ride that out and, until it's just like you got nothing left out of it, you know? Um, so I, I think, uh, I don't know, what else you got? Um, look, do you do any loaded stretching for pecs or anything at all or no? Yeah, I do. So I do my own version of it. So let's get credit where credit is due. DC training with Dante Trudell is where the concept of loaded stretch comes from um i do a, a pnf version of it so where i take a dumbbell i go into the bottom stretch position i hold the stretch for 15 seconds i initiate the contraction so it may look like a half rep or a quarter rep or whatever and then i go back into the stretch and hold it for another 15 seconds and i'll do this cyclical pattern because with each contraction i can gain a little bit more access typically 
Um, and it's something that for my tech help in the bottom of pressing has been huge because it forces me to manage load in a stretch position that's not maximal, but it's still in safe. I can dump the dumbbells, whatever. Um, big, big fan, just use sparingly because it can continue to drive. It is technically volume. So I, would say. I was going to say like, cause it, yeah, if you added that in on top of like what you're doing now, like it, you, you are adding volume. I'd also say it's like something to be careful with. Cause a lot of times at DC, you would do it at the end of a session when your fatigue potentially be highest and your ability to control at those end ranges would be lower than anything. Um, so it, it's likely you could get injured. So definitely using a light load for a longer duration. Um, I think stabilizing well, um, I think you might be able to argue maybe doing this like on a, on a cable set up on a bench or maybe a pec, pec deck fly to where you don't have these dumbbells that are kind of shaking around. Um, but the only thing is you need a good fly that can that load the stretch and you have that purpose there. But if it's a cable, you just, you, you adjust your position on the cables, you add enough load, you'll, you'll, you'll do the same job. Um, how, how much does it further the hypertrophy stimulus? I don't know. I, I guess I could, you could really argue back and forth. I, I think there's, uh, anecdotally, a lot of guys have done and have good results with it, but I think definitely like you can train that in range to strengthen and maybe just getting that greater stability. You're able to produce a, a greater hypertrophy stimulus. Is there something to like expanding the fascia and I don't know, man. I, I think loading. I think, and, go, 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 go. I was going to say, I just don't think there's no negative from it. Yeah. Outside, yeah, of, outside of like managing volume and fatigue. Right. Yeah, I agree. We yeah. can end on that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and so I like them. I like my version a little bit better just because I can create that contraction and go back into it. Right. But, um, I think that covers chest training 101. I think just like overview is like understanding or maybe looking at your rib cage position relative to your humerus is something that's not looked at, but I think is the biggest missing component of training because I'm gonna be honest with you guys, bodybuilders, we're not the most functional individuals and we have a lot of dysfunction and you're probably only going to be able to exert force from that. Like, position from here to here relative to rib cage, which is maybe slightly below flat all the way to maybe 40 degrees incline. So just be aware of that. Yeah, I think, hey, before you even get in the bench, can you feel your pec contract and where, where is that? Like, where is that, that position of the humerus um, in, in relation to your torso? And that should kind of define the angles that you're picking for your pressing movements. So if you don't feel it on a far decline, well, that declines too much and the inclines too much. So um, we want some different patterns for the pec because the pec spans from the bottom of sternum all the way up to clavicular line. So then we have like probably with two compound pressing movements, you can cover that and you want to cover them in those ranges where you can feel those pec contractions happening. So some type of flat to maybe 15 degree press, then maybe something that's from 35, maybe 45 degrees of what you feel. Um, if you need more delt component, and that's maybe some lagging area too, maybe you start with the incline press, then go to flat. If your delts are badass, then start with the flat and move to the incline. Um, there is, you know, some, 
idea between maybe doing a pec fly first if you really have a hard time connecting with your pecs. Mm -hmm. And then if you, you still have a hard time connecting within compound movements, we have a progression framework that you can use of starting with the reverse band and dead stop, moving to just the reverse band, moving to no reverse band and just a dead stop, then eventually moving to where you're just free weight, or, or not free weight, but without a dead stop and without a reverse band. And that progression can be in place. You should ideally probably put your your movement, your compound movement first that requires the most stability, um, like a dumbbell press or your, your free bar press, then moving as you fatigue to places of greater stability, like your hammer strength machines. But that's not to say that you can't just use hammer strength machines the whole time, because we're just trying to put tension in, in muscle fibers. So you, there's no rules that you have to do X, Y, Z movement. The, 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 the rule I would put in place is that you need to get a good stimulus in your pecs. And uh, that will dictate the movements that you're picking from there. So once you have that in place, um, you know, you have some two compound movements that train throughout the full range. Maybe you have an isolation movement that can drive some extra stimulus. Uh, then you can move into doing some type of loaded stretch position that can, that can challenge that stability in the lengthen phase more. And, and, and potentially there might be some other hypertrophy benefits there that haven't been quite elucidated yet, uh, but there's also maybe minimal negatives to it too. So I think that kind of covers like a framework of developing your chest training program. I think establishing that, that first in one session, and then when you recover, then you repeat that. So it's not like, do you need to train it twice a week or three times a week? It's like, well, no, no, just start with this. Start with getting a great first rep build that up in your session. And, and once you have that session, then when you're recovered, you repeat that session, you know, and maybe that's in five days, maybe that's once a week, um, maybe that is every three days. But I, I think I would milk the most out of it first before you need to progress up and doing more. Agreed. Cool. Nothing. That was perfect. Right on. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you for tuning in. J3U Podcast. Like, share subscribe and we appreciate it all you guys support um if you're watching this on youtube you can leave any comments or questions below and luke and i can answer those for you for sure.